Okay, we're going to go ahead and get uh, started, and I want to uh, welcome you to the first uh, breakout session of this year's Louisville Conference, and uh, especially to this session. I'm excited to uh, be here. Can you hear me okay? Am I loud enough? There is another microphone somewhere I can put on. Anybody need it? Okay. Um, and uh, so it's, it's really good to be here, and I'm excited to be able to talk about this topic especially because I think that this is, this is why, we, why we do missions. This is the heart of God uh, to reach out to other people. And um, I'm going to kill myself in this court, I think. So, um, <clears throat> my name is Daniel Tolan, and my wife Cindy and I are missionaries with World Gospel Mission. We're in our 22nd year, and currently I am on loan to the Christian Medical and Dental Association, where I am the associate director for the uh, Center for Medical Missions. Um, part of my background, I was a missionary kid in Bolivia, South America, uh, for the first six years of my life, and I'm sure that's where my love for the world and missions uh, was kind of cultivated and planted. Uh, later, I became a, a hypocritical, cynical pastor's kid uh, in, in Michigan and uh, got over that and came to know Jesus as my uh, personal Savior in my sophomore year of college. In 1989, up until 2003, we were full-time medical missionaries in Kenya, Africa, and uh, since 2003, I've been on uh, loan or assignment with CMDA. My wife uh, grew up in Kenya as the daughter of, uh, of a uh, missionary doctor there, so she's the real expert. So any hard questions, I'm going to defer to her uh, today. Um, the Center for Medical Missions, let me just tell you a little bit about it. What is it? It's for you. We don't send missionaries. We don't manage projects. We don't have hospitals or community health programs. We're simply there to help you learn and understand and uh, become, uh, help you become missionaries, help you be faithful in the calling that uh, God has given to you, teaching you, training you, uh, potential missionaries, working with churches, sending organizations uh, so that you can do a better job at, uh, at, the, at the job that uh, God has called you uh, to do. Okay, so how does one go about uh, starting to address uh, spiritual needs in, in a cross-cultural healthcare ministry? First of all, I just want to say you can't reach competency in one hour, and that's not what this session is all about. This session is to just inspire you to say, you know what? The rest of my life, I want to be a lifelong learner in this area. I want to pursue a deeper understanding, uh, and maybe I can plant a seed in you today that's going to uh, say to you, yeah, I want to become a lifelong learner in this area to, uh, so I can continue to improve uh, in my, in my uh, relation cross-culturally in, the, in terms of uh, spiritual ministry. So I want to pursue, I want to just uh, challenge you to the, the needs, the barriers, the opportunities, the expectations, the joys. Um, and I'm, this is really from my heart, okay? It's from my heart to your heart uh, because when I went to the mission field, I know I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, and you learn from those mistakes. 
uh, and you, you begin to develop a, a system of thinking from your mistakes. So this is just a, a, from my heart today to help you as you're on your journey, an incredible journey uh, in, in medical missions. We only have 50 minutes, so to get the most out of this session, we have to move quickly. I am going to stop and ask you some questions at times, and I just want you to say the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay? Uh, make your answers brief, because we do have a short time. Uh, but when I stop and ask something, just blurt it out, and let's, let's talk about uh, some things. Now, most of us, uh, most of health care is done in some type, cross-culturally, in some type of team ministry. Um, and as a health care professional, you might be concerned, you might be young, you may say, you know, I feel very inadequate in this area. Uh, shouldn't I, as a health care professional, just kind of keep focused on the physical and let somebody else uh, take care of the spiritual? Uh, you know, a lot of questions, valid questions, are going through your mind uh, and valid uh, concerns. But how do you set the tone um, for, for, uh, for spiritual ministry? Um, and who is it that sets the tone? And I'm not really talking about just spiritual needs here because we, we kind of tend to compartmentalize things in our, in our culture. And when we say spiritual needs, we may just think something about uh, uh, the needs of the heart. But I'm, when I start talking about the, the whole spectrum of needs outside of our own physical bodies uh, as we walk into a healthcare setting, and who sets the tone for that type of ministry? Let me, let me just ask you, what, what do you think or who do you think will set the tone, especially in a cross-cultural setting? Shout out an answer. We do. Who's we? Everybody. Everybody? Everybody has some part to play in setting the tone. But who, who's going to set the tone? Somebody's going to set the tone. Okay? When you're in a team, leadership generally will set the tone. And if you're in a cross-cultural health care setting, you oftentimes are going to be uh, looked at as one of the leaders. And you have a tremendous opportunity to set the tone for ministry, uh, and I'm excited because when I look out across this room and I look at the people in this room, I know that every one of you, you and you and you and you, have a great opportunity in terms of a team because you will be leaders, and uh, it's important to know how you set a tone, and you have to accept that role because people are expecting that of you, and that's one of the things that we're going to look at. And I want, I want to emphasize that no matter where you are, if, this is, if you're in a large Christian institution like a big hospital or if you're in a small government-run clinic, if you're the leader of the operating room or if you're in a, in a, a community health program or some other type of project in a, in a community, um, if you're in a country where the gospel can be freely shared, or if you're in a country where it's very difficult, even illegal or dangerous to speak the gospel, you still have the opportunity to set the tone in terms of ministry. And while there are a lot of places in this world where it's dangerous or even illegal to, uh, to speak the gospel, there's no place where demonstrating the gospel is illegal. 
And if the gospel is going to be seen through your team, even if your team isn't Christian, even if your team isn't Christian, if the gospel is going to be seen through your team, it's because somebody sets the tone for that to happen. It was a uh, Sunday morning. I was walking up the hill for my third C-section of the night on an Easter Sunday morning. I was tired. I was kind of grumpy. Everybody else is getting to go to the Easter sunrise service, and I'm there. Why me, God? Why would you put me here? Uh, I'm in the middle of Africa, and, you know, I'm complaining. Um, and David Kilel, our head chaplain, is walking down the hill with a man, and he says, Tolan, come here. I thought, David, I'm busy. You know, I'm an important job to do. I've got to go do this Syrian section. David said, Tolan, come here a minute. And I stopped, and he said, do you recognize this man here? I said, no. He was on your TB ward for three months. Uh, Oh, okay, I do remember him. He was really sick. In fact, I didn't think he was going to live. He said, I want you to know about my life, and I want to thank you for how my life has changed since I was on your tuberculosis ward. He said, you prayed for me and my family when I was admitted, but it was Mary, but it was Mary, who sat by my bed for long hours reading the Bible to me, teaching, talking, praying with me, and I gave my heart to Jesus. I've stopped drinking, my wife and I are back together, and my whole life is different. And today, on this Easter morning, I thought I wanted to come by here just to tell you thank you. And I thought, what is he thanking me for? You know what he was thanking me for? He realized that a tone had been set in order for Mary to do what she did. And I think that's a very, very key thing that we have to remember as healthcare professionals and leaders that we usually are going to set the tone, good or bad. And I want you to, uh, to set a good tone. We need to learn to empower others. Uh, so the, the key principles here, I think, are that leadership, leadership sets the tone. And as a professional, this will often be you, no matter what position you're in. We must empower others to minister. Make it part of their job description. If you could go back to the when this thing happened and you could pull out Mary's job description, you would see that on her job description, there was a little spot that said, you are to be involved in spiritual ministry to patients on a regular basis. Now, I didn't tell Mary exactly what that meant. I didn't tell her that that meant you sit and read by Arap Kurir's bedside for hours. But she knew that that was part of her job description. She had been empowered not only by me, by other, but other people in leadership. And we reviewed this regularly with our team. Uh, we gave each other positive support, feedback. We told each other stories. Uh, I allowed Mary to empower me and me to empower her back and forth. But a tone was set in order for that to happen. So... We will set a tone as leaders. And uh, if we're going to set a tone, how are we going to set a positive tone? As I've gotten older, I've realized that there's a lot of great lessons in the Bible on how to do uh, missions. Jeremiah 29, um, the Israelites had been taken to Babylon. Uh, who, who took them into Babylon? 
Who carried them into Babylon? Huh? The soldiers? Nebuchadnezzar? Okay. That's what it says here. It says Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile in Babylon the elders, the priests, the prophets, the king, the queen mother, the court officials, the craftsmen, all the movers and shakers of society they had carried into Babylon because they wanted them there for a certain reason. Jeremiah sent them a letter, and he said, this is a letter from God to all those in exile. And he said, build houses and settle down. Eat what is grown there. It didn't say bring in your container with all of your stuff from your own culture and take it there. He said, build houses there. Eat what is growing there. Marry, have sons and daughters. Build your families. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I, I have carried you. I thought Nebuchadnezzar carried him there. To which I have carried you. This is one of the first great missionary endeavors of showing us the heart of God. God took the Israelite people. He said, I carried you there. Now this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to really... Grasp a hold of this community, adopt it as your own. What were the prophets saying? The prophets were saying, no, don't risk your identity. Don't, you're, you're gonna lose yourself spiritually. Stay outside of the city. Don't get involved in the city. You should use the city. You should exploit it, but you should disdain it. You should stay out of it. They were told to live outside of their new community. It must have been a shock to the Israelites to hear from God saying, you think Nebuchadnezzar, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar carried you there. No, I did. God says, I carried you there. Babylon is the place I carried you to, and this is what I want you to do there. You're, you're not to lose your spiritual identity. Because, why? Because there will be judgment on Babylon if they don't repent. And God says, I want you to take me the gospel, to them. This is how. Move into the city. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Pray to me, the Lord, for the city, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Man, can you imagine how astonished the Israelites were saying, God is telling us to serve the common good of the pagan city? What does that have to do with you and I? A lot. It really does. Because you will never set the tone among your team for deep spiritual ministry if you hold back from the community to which God has carried you. If you don't really seek the peace and prosperity of that community and serve the common good of that community, you will never see the impact spiritually that God wants you to have. So how do we do that? To me, there's three very critical areas that we're kind of falling short of sometimes in, uh, in really supporting the communities to which God has called us. The language, cultural understanding, and worldview. Let's move these through these a little bit quickly. Language. This is, not, this is an area that many mission organizations are now falling short of. 
Um, you can never underestim- underestimate the value of learning language and setting the tone for ministry. We think I can do the physical care of taking care of people without learning the language because, after all, a spleen full of malaria doesn't speak a language. Uh, that's true. But you know what? While physical care can be given without mastering language, holistic ministry can't. It takes the language of the heart to do so. I had a great friend of mine, Ruben Longat, uh, who's in the States right now studying for a Ph.D. in missions. He's from Kenya. He's 45, and Reuben was uh, telling me about when he became a Christian. He said a white man came to our village and was speaking, was going to speak for church. He said I was about 10 years of age at the time. And I sat there through the whole service, and I couldn't think of anything else but what language is this white guy going to speak in? And he said he stood up and he started speaking in my language. And he said, I heard him. Yeah. He said, I heard him with my heart. It takes the heart language of a people to really set the tone for ministry. Every culture, in terms of worldview, asks three main questions. They ask, why are we here? Why is there something rather than nothing? What is the problem? If, if, if we're supposed to be here for a purpose, why are we not accomplishing that purpose? That's the second question. Why are things not as they should be? What's the main thing wrong? And then what is the solution or the main way that we're going to fix this problem? Every culture, every worldview asks those three questions and seeks the answers to those questions. In translating the message... Laman Sana says, he insists that only Christianity in answering these three questions does not decimate an indigenous culture's story, but rather Christianity in answering those three questions enters that culture's story, it cleanses it of distortions and idolatrous elements, and it resolves its unresolved storylines in Christ Jesus. You know what? It takes a much greater commitment than most of us in missions have given to, to engage at a deeper level with what makes people really tick. But you might ask this morning, How, is this really important? Can't I just go? Can't I just go as a missionary? Well, there's my cup of coffee over there. In some cultures, it'd be very okay if I stole that cup of coffee. In fact, I was tempted to steal that cup of coffee from downstairs, but I didn't. In this culture, I paid for it. I didn't really tempted. You know, it's just illustration. But suppose, suppose I had stolen it. In some cultures, it wouldn't be wrong unless I got caught. For the Buddhist, eternal life is almost the opposite flavor to a Christian perspective. According to Buddhist karmic principles, John 3.16 implies, come and believe in Jesus and be trapped in a closed cycle of karmic condemnation forever. In Matthew, we read that a father had two sons who worked in his vineyard. The first said he would go and work, but he did not. The other son said he would not go, And later, he did. How many people say that the first son behaved the best? He said, I'll go, but then he didn't go. No? Nobody thinks that? People in Indonesia thought that the 
son who said, I will go, but did not, behave the best because he didn't, he didn't cause any disharmony, a loss of face to the father. Worldview is so important to understand if we're going to minister deeply and cross-culturally to people in the areas of their deepest needs. Peter saw the number of fish in the boat, and he fell at Jesus' knees, and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Thai people understood Peter's shame and sin. He had killed so many fish, he had violated a fundamental Buddhist principle about not taking life. Worldview. Is it important? Yes, it is. Language, cultural acquisition, and worldview, understanding. We need, to, we need certainly to, to uh, increase, I believe, our, our uh, commitment to those areas. Okay, let's, let's take some examples from, from real life, okay? You're doing well in language. You're learning the culture. You've got uh, somebody that's teaching you about uh, worldview and culture and the place that God has carried you to, but you're still kind of in the baby talk stages and you're working with a translator. And an elderly woman comes into you and you greet her and then you ask her, ma'am, how can I help you? And you don't understand what's being said for quite some time. There's animated conversation between you and the, or between this elderly woman and the translator. And then the translator turns to you and it says, she's, the translator says, it seems she does not want to tell you why she's here. I have had that happen to me so many times in Africa. And I thought, you came to me. What? Just tell me what the problem is. What do you think's going on? Any ideas? Having trouble connecting with me? Ah, she wants me to figure out. You, have you ever, you've heard of those sticks that you hold, and you, you hold it, and it goes down into the ground, and you're looking for, for water in the ground. You're divining for water. This lady has a very traditional view of you as a healer. She believes that you have an open, special channel to God. And to protect that process of secrecy, this person does not want to tell you why she's come until you tell her first. She will truly know that God is with you if you are able to tell her her problems without her input. And she knows that healers have the gift of divination in her culture. So what's a traditional view of a healer? In many cultures of the world, it's important to know how you are viewed because you're going to have roles that are expected of you. Now, I'm not, expect, I'm not telling you that you need to become an expert in divination or anything like that. What I'm telling you is that you will be expected to play roles as a healthcare provider. And you must understand culturally and in, that, in those people's world views what, what is expected of me. Or they will go find somebody else. The development of Western medicine led to a division between the professions of priest and medicine man. They used to be one. Now we in the Western world are left wondering, should we discuss areas of faith? And if we should, how? You take that kind of person from the Western world 
into a culture where the healer signifies a special giftedness from God and the ancestors to diagnose illness, and you have problems. Because the healer must diagnose and treat the symptoms. In addition, he must address the causes as well. And we don't realize that. We don't realize that. It becomes important to address why the causative factors were allowed to do their evil. In fact, as I talked about, traditional healers will divine the cause of illness to determine if there is a physical or a spiritual cause. Here's a picture of a traditional healer in Cameroon, and he's telling the future by interpreting the changes in this bowl here caused by a freshwater crab. A Maasai man, oh, excuse me, let me just back up a second. Here's a proverb from Nigeria. It is a little bit of sacrifice and a little bit of medication that saves the patient who is not going to die. The message for us from the Western world is that we must pay adequate attention to the role of the spiritual realm in the practice of medicine in traditional society. Okay, a Maasai man came to me and he said, I can't swallow. I'm losing weight. Um, I was sure he had cancer of the esophagus, something. I wasn't sure uh, exactly what. And I said, well, let's take you to the hospital. We'll do a barium swallow. We'll put a scope in you. Um, we found nothing. He said, every time I eat, I vomit. What do you think's going on? Allergies? Good thought. He's, he's poison. What else? Allergies, poison, depression, curse, evil spirits. Man, evil spirits are are evil spirits real? Curses real? How many of us in our training in nursing school or dental school or mental school? Mental school. Yeah, there we go. Medical school, yeah, close. They're one and the same, I think. Um, in, in medical school, had uh, talks on this. Uh, and I got to Kenya, Africa, and I didn't know anything really about this. I wasn't prepared like I should have been. Uh, curses are real. Evil spirits are real. Spiritual and oppression and warfare is real. Am I telling you you need to look for a demon behind every illness or behind every bush? No, not at all. But there are certain times when we need to adequately address deep felt spiritual needs of patients and be very aware of the implications that specific diagnoses carry. I can't tell you in every culture what that's going to be. You're going to need to seek that out in the place where God has carried you. But the real message for me is that, uh, let me see here, okay, medical missions must do a better job at addressing fear. This Maasai man had terribly disabling fear. I explained to him, I said, we haven't found anything. We talked with him. He said, I'm cursed by the medicine man because I did something terrible to my brother. And we said, We talked with him at length, myself, chaplains, other people. And finally he said, no, 
If I do something, I'm afraid of what may happen. He had a terribly disabling fear. And he said, no decision is better than the wrong one. And in healthcare missions, we need to understand not only that many people in this world live in the paralyzing world of disabling fear because of evil spirits, but we also need to understand the worldview of the origin of evil or bad things that happen. Because this will have a great bearing on how we address certain things in, in medical care. The evil spirit world, in, for example, in Nigeria, has tens of thousands of evil spirits. And they're ever-expanding. Something new, bad happens, there's a new God that's created, a new evil spirit that's created with that. And each individual evil spirit is responsible for a specific type of evil and illness. And every one of those evil spirits have to be appeased out of a, of a world of fear. This is a polydemonic conception of evil, the origin of evil. And it has a bearing on illness and health and disease. In our Western world, we tend to think that illness has a physical cause. But especially in Africa, the Far East, and many other, if all across the 1040 window, areas that uh, are desperate for us, the reality that is in many people's minds is that these worlds are very interdependent. And in fact, they're almost one. You know, I might be satisfied. In fact, when my father had a stroke in uh, 1995, I was satisfied. The doctor said, you know, cholesterol, hypertension, atrial fibrillation, uh, blood clot. Okay, I could accept that as the cause of his problem. If your worldview, though, is, is a world that's controlled by spirits, you begin to think differently in a time like this. You understand that a person's worldview, if evil spirits are in control, you understand that you need to address those issues at a time like this. On many occasions in, in my missionary career, I've been asked, why are these things allowed to affect my father like this? What happened that he was allowed that this was allowed to happen to him. Who did what? Who did what to who? And what is the meaning of all of this? So what's the message? There are certain times that we must pay special attention to what people have in their minds and what they're thinking because they, we need to learn how to address those things. We need to learn how to address them with some direct questions sometimes. And what are those things? Here's the Yoruba list of the big evils. Death, chronic disease, loss, paralysis, big trouble, curse, afflictions. There's evil spirits for all of those. And in every one of them, there's evil spirits that, must, that control those and must be appeased. And if you don't address these at the time of a diagnosis of this or a treatment of this or in a community health program or something like that, uh, if you don't address it, they will seek somebody else who will. They'll seek somebody else who will. So wherever you go, I don't care if it's Pakistan or China or India or Brazil, you need to, in your culture, search out what is that list of big evils 
in the culture to which God has carried you. You learn, you need to learn to address these in some way. And if you don't do this, as is expected of you in that culture, if this is a traditional culture, you will not have met the deepest needs and questions that people are searching for. And let me gently suggest that if you're going to a place like I did, to a place where there's been missionaries for a long number of years, many of them may never have addressed these things. Because that's not how we're trained to think. So don't assume just because there's been missionaries wherever you're going for a long period of time that these things have been addressed. I found out that they hadn't been. So is this... Is this uh, a real problem today? I mean, there's education all over the world, and isn't education going to correct all this misthinking sometimes we as Westerners think? The world's giving us an answer to that question of whether Western medicine is meeting needs. Look at the increasing phenomenon of traditional medicine all over the world, especially true all along the equatorial belt and in the 1040 window where the majority of the poorest countries are located. Most of the increase in traditional medicine and in witchcraft is centered around those traditional healers who approach the spiritual as well as the physical. And that's what people are looking for. They're looking for somebody who will approach them in a very holistic way. In Africa, Asia, Eastern Europe, witchcraft is growing at phenomenal rates. Who's telling us that? Mission organizations that are trying to raise money for missions? No. The World Health Organization, the WHO, is telling us that Western medicine is not doing well at addressing the whole person. The WHO is the one who has documented increases in witchcraft. In Nairobi, Kenya, in 2007, WHO estimated that there were 20 traditional healers for every Western-based healer. In Kwamlanga, South Africa, in a 48-bed hospital that was just established a handful of years ago, it was established by a traditional African healer. This was the first of its kind in Africa, combining traditional... African medicine, Western healing methods, as well as Asian and Eastern medicine, all incorporated under one roof. The place is very busy, I'm told. I haven't been there. One time I was riding through a rural area in Kenya with a hospital driver, and he stopped in front of an African hut. Out in the yard, there were dozens of people milling around and some of them tied to a tree, and I saw an old lady out there stuffing some, something up somebody's nose that was tied to a tree. I said, John, what's this? He said, this is where all the people who come to your hospital, and you give them a diagnosis of being off mentally, and you don't do a very good job of treating them, this is where they come. I said, who, who, who's this old lady here? He said, she's just an old lady that cares. She's just an old lady that cares and she's trying to address some deep-seated needs. Why is the demand for traditional healers growing rapidly? Because people feel like oftentimes we're not meeting their deepest of needs. United States Agency for International Development, uh, USAID, said just two years ago that if if Western medicine 
is going to make a greater impact at the community level, do you know what we're going to need to make use of? USAID, they're not a very very religious Christian organization, you you wouldn't think. You know what they said? We need to make better use of the local church and the communities. Wow. That's incredible. And if you think that this is just from traditional African societies, no. Here's what the prophet Muhammad said. He said, make full use of two cures, honey and the Quran. What do you think it means? Yeah, physical and spiritual. Honey and the Quran. We need to use material and moral things in our treatment of people. But you know what? You go to the mission field and then there's the issue of of time. Man, there is nothing so valuable to you as time uh, as, as a missionary. And it seems like every day the lines get longer. When you see one person and you're finished, four more people got in line. And you think, what am I going to do? And you ask yourself, when in the world am I ever going to have time to talk with people about spiritual needs? How do I? Is there time? Is there time? I've faced that a lot. And you know what? I decided, yes, there is. You know when? At lunchtime. People are going to take a lunch break. You say to one or two, one or two people, you know, would, I want to talk with you. Would you stick around until the lunch break? And I can miss a meal and meet that person's need in a deep way. You can make time for this. It's not going to be everybody. And then there's going to be times that you're going to really be discouraged. Like the day I was at a clinic in Embu, Kenya, and I saw five boys that day with muscular dystrophy amongst the 85 that I saw. Five new boys I had to diagnose with uh, muscular dystrophy, and I felt terrible. I felt like I said to a ma'am, your son has muscular dystrophy. He's going to get worse, and he's going to die. Now, please move out of my clinic because I've got 65 more people waiting to be seen. And I'd taken the vice president of our mission there that day because I was excited he was going to be in Kenya, and I thought, boy, he's going to think I did an awful job. Uh, ministering in a holistic way to people. Don said, never discount, Daniel, the touch of a kind hand and even one kind word. I saw you pray, even for a few seconds. And don't underestimate the value that a God who is timeless, a God who is timeless, can take from our time. Don't understand, don't underestimate what a timeless God can make out of our short periods of time. I've never forgotten the old man who bypassed a government clinic in a hospital and he said, I've come here because the hands are kind. There's always time to be kind. That's not illegal anywhere. There's other ways to address this issue of time. I can tell you that when the assistant bishop of the national church came to me when I was medical superintendent and said, can you address an issue for us culturally? When pregnant mothers die, we need you to remove the baby 
so that we can have separate funerals. Oh, man. I am already stressed to the max for time. No, you know, in my culture, sir, uh, we don't, I simply didn't address it well. You know what happened? I should have had some of our operating room techs do that. They could have done that. You know how I know they could have done that? Because one of them stole instruments from the hospital and was doing it outside the hospital for the community. And I didn't address it very well. Okay, another one. Patient comes in with a mass in the stomach. Um, exploratory surgery is done. There's a mass in the pancreas. It's not resectable. Um, two days later, this guy's pastor shows up. Uh, several church members, a very well-respected local pastor. And they said, we have a vision from God. We want to drip hot goat fat directly on that pancreas in the operating room, and we've been told by God that this patient will get better. In my operating room, you want to do that. Well, maybe we could do it if we could close it. Well, you know, in... A week from now, I've got, the, I've got the Ministry of Health and Ministry of Education people coming to my hospital to inspect us for teaching residents and Kenyan medical students. And if they hear about this, I'm dripping hot goat fat on a pancreas, what are they going to say? I mean, whew, what's the answer here? How do I handle this? Hmm? Do it. Talk more, who, who, talk, talk about with who, who should talk about it? Okay, the people that are coming to me, who else could I ask? God, oh, that's a good thought, we're at a, we're at a missions conference. Okay, she says, check into the local culture and talk with some... Who's going to know that? I don't know that. You know what? The surgeon who did this said, you know, I don't have the answer to this. I said, I, I agree. Uh, you don't, I don't. Uh, we're both Westerners. Let's get the hospital chaplains. Let's get the hospital administrators, both masters trained uh, Kenyans. Um, let's get a couple of the Kenyan medical doctors. Let's get some of the, the head nurses from the different areas. Let's put them all together in a room with these people and let's come, let them come up with an answer that's acceptable to everybody. What's the message here? We have to work together with a spiritual care team. Okay? Don't try to do it all yourself. Yeah, you might set the tone. You might be a leader. But don't do it all yourself. You've got to empower. You've got to entrust other people. Now, you might not think the answer that they came up with is, is good, or you might think it was a great answer. I thought it was acceptable and I could live with it. Because uh, I thought, you know, I can explain this to the Ministry of Health if we need to. Um, they irradiated goat fat, and they took the person into the, into the x-ray room, they x-rayed the pancreas, and they dropped that irradiated goat fat directly onto the stomach wall. And they said, that'll, we think that will do the same purpose. 
and the community was happy. The church was happy. Uh, the hospital was happy. Uh, and we, we tried our best to address the very deep-seated spiritual needs of that, of that person and his, and his community. The lesson is you're not alone. You need to develop a multidisciplinary team to minister spiritually. If there's not one, find one. And I'm not talking about just a hospital setting. I'm talking about whatever setting you're in. If you're in a community health program, if you're in a village, if you're in a government clinic, and it's not happening, find one. Establish some regular times of meeting together. Make rounds together. I used to love to make rounds with uh, hospital chaplains. But you know what our temptation is as Western Westerners? To do all the talking. And the chaplain just stands there. If you're going to make rounds with a national chaplain, make sure that you give them ample opportunity and uh, empower them at the same time. Develop a, a way to consult your spiritual care team. Make a form. Say spiritual consult, spiritual care team consult. If you're in a closed country, you're not going to be able to say Christian consult. But you know what? Everybody will understand social work consult. If you can't find a Christian to put on your spiritual care team, what do you think you need to do? In Luke 10, it tells us we need to find a man of peace. Cornelius was a man of peace in Acts chapter 15. You find that man of peace. And you put him or her or several of them on your spiritual care team and you begin working to, with them. If they're Muslim, that's okay. Work with them. Because you know why? You're seeking the peace and prosperity of the city to which God has called you to. And if they prosper, you too will prosper. And God says, I will bring myself, the gospel, to them in some way. How's that going to happen? You put a man of peace on your spiritual care team, and pretty soon that man of peace is going to ask you, why are you so concerned about my people? And what, what's your motivation? What's in your heart and mind? And what do you think the origin of evil is and good and the solutions to our problems? It'll work. We've got to move quickly uh, because we're in the countdown. Um, let me just mention a couple of things. Um, I really like the CMDA saline uh, solution. Uh, it's, actually, it's not CMDA anymore. It's saline solution. Um, but just mention quickly, you can take this and you can do training with, uh, with your staff or your group or your people that you're working with wherever you are. Uh, this is now in uh, nine different languages. There's more and more in the process of translation. If this isn't going to work because you're in a closed culture, Take the saline solution and take all the principles and adapt it. Take out all the Christian words. It still works, and you can do it. You really can. And you can teach people and set the tones to say, we are about ministering to much deeper than just the physical needs. We want to minister to the, phys to the social, the psychological, to every need that a person has. And uh, people will then begin asking you questions. <clears throat> okay, well, what am I saying? 
become a lifelong learner in the in this area. I didn't start when I should have. I started a number of years after I was on the mission field. I thought, you know what? Something is wrong. I'm not understanding well what's going on. And we need to become a lifelong learner in this area. It's fun. It's rewarding. Uh, there's a number of different things I can recommend to you. Um, I'm going to this presentation will be on the CMDA uh, website uh, under the Center for Medical Missions. So if you want to download some of it, uh, you'll be able to. Um, but let me just mention a couple of uh, things here for you. Splice, Missions Training International. Uh, there are a number of international medicine, uh, family medicine fellowships for those of you that are uh, um, in, in medicine. Um, and... Uh, Trainer of trainers, I can't emphasize enough how I believe that every missionary should have some type of uh, trainer of trainers courses. Um, Lifewind International is one of the big ones that uh, does this. Uh, there, uh, there are a number of other groups now that do. Um, Echo Community Health Workshops in Fort Myers, Florida. Uh, you can go to uh, well, just Google. Uh, you can get every answer in the world in Google. Um, and if you just input some of those things, you'll come up with all kinds of options. I will also mention that uh, this coming April, 15 through 17, this will be our seventh uh, annual um, orientation for medical missions. Uh, this is especially designed for people that are saying, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I want to be a medical missionary. Nurses, physicians, dentists, physiotherapists, ancillary personnel, community health people, anybody. Um, April 15 through 17, uh, you can get more information at our website or at our CMDA booth here. Let me just finish by saying, where do you start? We looked at that language, culture, worldview, uh, working on from there, uh, learning how to set the tone as a leader in healthcare. Um, Learning what our roles are of people that they, what are the roles they expect of us as a traditional healer, um, and learn to address the issues that people are really asking in their minds. Learning that if we don't address the deepest needs that people have, they're going to go and seek those needs to be addressed uh, somewhere else. And then I told you my wife uh, has much more experience and wisdom than I do. I asked her to give you some advice. She said, pray for God to lead you. Work with spouses of national health care workers. When you arrive, ask what's going on and join in that. But be sure you start with the nationals uh, in asking them. Uh, examine your passions. Is it children, women, men, couples? Focus on your passions. Start small and build, but start and then families can be involved too. Take kids into the community, play together, do parties in the community, uh, but join with the community to which God has carried you. And then remember that it's all about uh, Jesus. Um, we're finishing two minutes early out of the ten extra minutes that we took. So we got a minute for, uh, we have two minutes for questions, yes. Yes. So how would you deal with mentally ill patients? How, do, how would you deal with mentally ill patients? Uh, that, that is a really tough one, and I, I uh, honestly believe that um, 
mental illness in cross-cultural settings is one of the most difficult areas. Um, but I know what I wouldn't do. I wouldn't do what I did for a number of years, and that's to say, well, here's another off-mentally patient and prescribe vitamin Haldol uh, and just hope that it took care of everything. Because, you know, that mentally ill patient is living within a family system who has tremendous questions in their mind. And uh, I'm going to... I'm going to get my spiritual care team together and say, we may not be able to address this mental illness as well as we would like to, but we can address the questions and the needs and the concerns of the family uh, and the community in this whole, in this whole process. Yes? But, you know, you're, who's, who's the first people you're going to talk to? I, I think as you establish um, friendships, I, when I went to Kenya in 1989, I immediately struck up a friendship with a, a Maasai guy that just seemed to like to teach me stuff. Uh, and I would sit up in his house till all hours of the night. I loved going out there, and I'd schedule an extra day just so I could spend time in his house and sit and talk with Ole Twala. Uh, and he would tell me about all the stories about growing up, uh, you know, customs, traditions amongst the Maasai. And that's, I, I think you just have to establish a, a friendship, especially with a national person, and, and then start picking their brain. And you have to do it in a way that doesn't demean them. You have to do it in such a way that says, I highly respect and I value your culture, your traditions. And I need to learn how to incorporate what I can do to help uh, you and your, your community, uh, but not degrade their values, cultures, and traditions. A comment up here? Yes, uh, I would add one more point to your wife's uh, suggestion. Yes. Don't spend all your time among your peers from Western. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Start with the nationals. Get away from the white folk. Um, you know that I, I can't I can't emphasize that enough, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Uh, but I, you know, we tend to congregate with people that we are like us, and you know what? We we stand outside Babylon when we do that. We stand outside Babylon, and that's the that's the thing that I'm really want to emphasize to you is. Man, you got to get right in in Babylon. You got to move into it. You got to live with the people, live, serve them, eat with them, drink what they drink, eat what they eat, wear what they wear, if possible, and uh, just Im- immerse yourself in that. No, you're not going to be called to lose your spiritual identity because judgment will come. We're to bring Jesus. It's all about. Jesus. Okay, we got to stop, man. I've got a thousand stories I'd like to tell you, but uh, we got to stop. Um, let me just let me just tell you, Gil Odenthal is going to be giving a, a presentation. Gil, hold your hand up. Um, your presentation is on um, community health development, making a making a difference. Something like yeah. Um,
basically it's a case study of what Saddleback Church has done with it. Western Rwanda actually aids healthcare initiative, mobilizing the church and overcoming a lot of these cultural barriers. Yeah. Um, there's another one uh, put on by Phil Thornton called uh, Why Won't They Listen? <laughs> Hang on. Man, I need that for my kids. Um, uh, now my grandkids. Uh, you know, and, but cross-cultural communication and issues. How do we think? What's our Western worldview? Uh, that's going to be another great session if, if you want to continue on along these lines. Okay? Let me, can I just pray for you? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be here. I thank you for what you want in our lives. You want us to worship you and to praise you. And through that, somehow you want to take us as imperfect vessels and cause